Good morning. How is everybody? Good? We're getting closer to Christmas, aren't we? It's right around the corner. I know many of you are looking forward to that. Um, decorations are getting put up. Presents, gifts are being bought. Maybe you need to go do that pretty soon. Uh, you're making travel plans, planning, uh, you, you know, if you're traveling, going out of town or something like that, you're making those. We're preparing for Christmas, aren't we? We're preparing for it. Why? Because we know it's coming. We know it's going to be coming relatively soon, too. It's right around the corner. And our lives are busy because of that, right? You know, I always enjoyed Christmas time as a child. Christmas was a time to dream. It was a time to use imagination, and it was a time of anticipation. And now that I'm a dad, I get to sort of see that, that same excitement in, in my own children. Callie is so looking forward to Santa. She's transitioned from Mickey Mouse to Santa is who she wants to see now. And she asks me every day, when am I going to see Santa? And she's looking forward to the snow as well. She doesn't understand why it's not snowing every day when it's Christmas time. And Noah, I had the amazing privilege of watching the Polar Express with Noah for the first time last week. And he was amazed. I mean, you've got trains and you've got Santa in the same movie. He was just blown away. And you can tell when I look at Callie and I look at Noah, you can tell in their eyes that they are processing, that they're using their little tiny imaginations to have really big dreams. And my, my older two sons are, they're a little bit older, right? But I can still see the anticipation in them as well because they're being a little bit better than what they normally are. All right, and they think I don't know. They don't think I pick up on that, but they are doing some chores. They're doing some things that they normally wouldn't do, and they're trying to better their chances of getting something really nice on Christmas, right? So they're living with this anticipation of Christmas coming. And really, when you think about it, dreaming or longing for something isn't just something that you do when you're young. It isn't just something you do as a child. This is something that stays with you even as you grow old. Your dreams, your imaginations, they're still there, but they, they just change, right? Maybe during Christmas you look forward, what you anticipate is seeing family, maybe spending time with family. Maybe you're looking forward to seeing a son or a daughter or a, a grandchild that you just don't get to see that much, or maybe you've never seen. Maybe you look forward to spending precious time with your parents or grandparents this year. Because you know that they might not have another Christmas next year. You look forward to those quality moments. Or maybe you just, you're a really hard worker. Your schedule is really tough throughout the year. Maybe you're just looking forward to having a couple of weeks off. And maybe this is when you plan your vacation to go away and spend some time with family for a couple of weeks. Or listen, you might just be looking for a little joy. Maybe 2016 wasn't so good to you. Maybe this is a really bad season in your life and you're just looking for any little thing that can bring you joy and happiness. No matter who you are, we long for things 
that bring us joy and happiness. We, we want those things and we look forward to those things and we long for those things, whatever that may be. And this morning, for the believer, for Christians, we long for heaven. We long for an eternal home. There is a, a desire deep down in the hearts of, of the believer that longs to be in a different place. C.S. Lewis says, quote, If I find myself, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So deep down inside the soul, the heart of the believer, the child longs to be at home with the Heavenly Father. When I think about that, I think about Abraham. And there's an account of his life mentioned in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. You know, Something interesting about Abraham is that he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that this place was not his home. He looked forward to actually transitioning and and one day going to a heavenly home. He had a strong desire to be with God. And you know what? We know that we are going to a place like that. We know that we will be going to a heavenly home where God dwells. Jesus told us that in the Gospels, in his Father's house, are many mansions or many rooms. And that he was going to prepare a place for us that where he is, we might be also. That's a promise that we hold on to. That's a promise that we we grasp and that's a promise that we embrace. We know that one day we will indeed be there. And when we think about heaven... There are several things that come to our minds that we've sort of learned over the years. Well, there will be no pain. There will be no suffering. There will be no tears. There will be no death in heaven. Think about that. Those things give us comfort. Those things give us hope. We find hope knowing that we will not experience the things uh, like that that we experience in this world in heaven heaven we know that we will not experience that and that gives us hope that gives us comfort but what about the things that are there what about the things that are in heaven do we think about those the bible tells us that at the end of time that god will create a new heaven and a new earth And it's the combination of those two things, the new heaven and the new earth, that makes up our eternal home forever. So if that's the case, if we know that we are going to an eternal home forever and ever, we want to know some things about it, right? Think about this. If we're going to a place for a long period of time, for an extended period of time, whether it's a long vacation for a couple weeks or maybe it's actually buying a home. There are some things that we want to know 
And we have to do some things. First, we want to find out some information about the place, right? We want to gather details. We want to know some information. And then what do we, what do, we do after we get the information? Well, then we prepare. We prepare to leave. We get ourselves ready. So there's a process of information gathering. You're taking in information. You're getting details. And then there's preparation where you're actually getting ready to make the transition. You're getting ready to make the move. So first, we want to know some things about heaven. We already, already know what's not going to be there, right? No pain, no sickness, no suffering, no death, no tears. We already know that. But if we're going to an eternal home, we want and we need to know some things about it. And what I want you to do this morning is I want you to bring out that inner child that's in each and every one of you. I want you to dream this morning. I want you to use your imaginations as we talk about this place, as we talk about what this place will look like. So let's look at that first. What does it look like? Now, all of our scripture today will be in Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. It's next to the maps. If you can find the maps, you just go left, you'll find Revelation. So that's where our verses will be. And John is the author of Revelation, the same John that writes the gospel. And John is the last original disciple left alive. Everybody else has been martyred. And even John is under persecution. He's in prison on an island at the very end of his life. And it's at this time in his life that God decides to give him visions, give him dreams, send him angels to tell him some things. And what John does is he writes everything down as he gets these visions and these dreams. He writes it all down, and that's what makes up Revelation. And so today, we want to look at one of these revelations uh, that was given to John by an angel. So let's start in chapter 21, verse 10. And he, that is the angel, carried me, and John speaking of himself, away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It It shone with the glory of God, And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. So John is given a glimpse into what this place looks like. He's taken up on a mountain, and it's my opinion that he is taken there so he can get the best view of this. um, This magnificent city coming down out of heaven from God. And the Bible refers to this city as the New Jerusalem. Remember, we already talked about how heaven, our eternal heaven, will be comprised of a new heaven and a new earth. And it's going to be massive. That's going to be huge. Here, John has given details of the capital city of the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And this city is of divine origin. It's built by God. And we were given the first description of its appearance. It says that it shone with the glory of God. The full expression of God's glory is manifest in this city, and it's unlimited, and it's unrestrained. You know, I think back in Exodus 33, God told Moses that no man can see me and live. And what did Moses say? I don't care. I want to see you. Show me your glory. And so God 
told Moses to put a veil over his face, and God decided to let Moses see an, an afterglow of his glory because nobody could see the full glory of God and live. But here in this heavenly city, we will be able to see God's glory fully manifest. John gives us another description of the city. And I want you to kind of put yourself in John's shoes. He's overwhelmed by what he's seeing, okay? And that would probably be an understatement. But he's trying to do his best to describe what he's seeing uh, with terms that would have been uh, familiar to the culture that he's in. Does that make sense? So he starts describing this. He compares the appearance of the city to a precious jewel, and he mentions Jasper. Now, Jasper to us, there's really not a whole lot special about it. It's opaque, really not of great value to us. But in ancient times, Jasper is what we refer to as a diamond, as a diamond. So what John is saying is that the appearance of the city is so spectacular and amazing that it beams with the very glory of God and it shines with the radiance and splendor of diamonds. That's amazing, isn't it? This place will truly look amazing. So that's what it looks like. What are the details? What are the details is the next question. Verse 15. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city. Its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. So just like any great real estate agent or tour guide, the angel is ready and prepared to give John, you know, these details. And he's got a golden measuring rod, which is just an ancient tape measure. Really big one. Really nice one, right? So the angel measures out the city, and we find, first of all, that this city is square. Its length, its height, and its width, they're all the same. They're all equal. So we could say that this city is a perfect cube. And when we are buying a home, I want you to think about this with me. When you're buying a home, one of the main things that you think about is, well, how big is it? You know, I've got a big family, so I need a place uh, that will accommodate the size of my family. How big is it? Well, we get a description of the size. With this golden rod, the angel measures the city, and we're told that it's 12,000 stadia in length. Now, a stadia isn't a place where you play football. Um, a stadia is the plural word for stadion, which is a stadion is 606 feet. 606 feet. So, 12,000 stadia, listen to this, are you listening? Is 1,400 miles. That's the length of one wall. 1,400 miles on each side. This place is massive, huge. We just, it's hard for us to even try to imagine that, right? So listen, are you ready for the square footage? The square footage of this place, 2 million square miles. 2 million, that's from the Bible. That's given to us. That's information given to us. 2 million square miles. That's four times the size of Alaska on the first floor. 
huge, massive. So we know how big it is. Another question we want to ask is, well, what are the building materials, right? It's not just about the size of the home, but it's the quality. What are the building materials? Let's look at verse 18. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. So remember with me, jasper is a diamond. So the building material for the walls are diamonds. And the rest of the city is made of pure gold, so pure that it's almost transparent. You've heard of streets of gold, right? But you've sold yourself short if that's what you're looking forward to because the entire city is made of gold. Everything will be gold. And then what about the foundation? I'm not really sure why, but there's an interest in the foundation here because the first verse we opened up with in Hebrews, Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose builder and architect was God. So here we see a city with foundations. Well, what, what's the foundations decorated with? Every kind of precious stone, every kind of precious jewel, precious stone that you could think of. That's amazing, isn't it? And I want you to think, open up your minds a little bit. Think with me this morning. Think about all the different color from the jewels and the stones. Imagine the glory of God radiating through the gold and through the diamonds, pushing its way through the colored jewels on this foundation, forming a scene of just dazzling and sparkling and wondrous beauty. Are you thinking about that? Well, what else? Let's look at verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So what gets John's attention here in what he sees is actually what he doesn't see. He notices that there's no temple and the temple was very important to the Jew. Their life revolved around the temple. The temple was the place where God resided, actually, and his presence would be made manifest to the people. So why is there no temple in heaven? Because it's not needed. It's not needed. The Lord God and the Lamb are its temple. This means that the presence of God literally fills and encompasses the entire of, entirety of the new heaven in the new earth. In this new home, we will be living in the presence of God. No need to go to a temple. The presence of God is all around you. Further detail in verse 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Wow, so that's different. So we might not be able to relate to the temple not being there. But we're familiar with the sun and the moon, right? Those things that we see each day and each night, those things that we are familiar with won't be there. Why? Again, there's no need. There's no need. The very glory of God will be the source of light forever. And think about this with me. All the transparent gold and all the jewels and all the diamonds will only magnify that glory of God. It will only magnify that light. It will truly be spectacular to see one day. So those are some of the details in heaven. What else do we want to know if we're going to stay somewhere for an extended period of time? 
What other information are we trying to gather? We want to know what are the accommodations. What, what are the accommodations in a place where I'm going? Let's look at verse 27. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those names, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now here we see a great perk and a true necessity for a brand new home. Nothing impure is there and will never be there. The place we were going will be completely clean and completely spotless, and I'm loving that. I like clean rooms, don't you? Really, when you go somewhere and you stay, think about this. Clean pillows, clean sheets, clean floors. You know, no smoking in the rooms, no pets. There's not going to be pets in my heaven. There can be pets in yours, okay? No pets in mine. I like that. Um, Where we're going, nothing will be unclean. It also says that Nobody that is shameful or deceitful will be there. Well, what does that mean? That means we'll all have perfect neighbors. Everybody will be perfect. And it's not because of us, you see, it's because of Jesus Christ. It's because of the blood of the Lamb that those names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's because of Jesus' blood that has washed away our filthiness. That's why we're clean But in heaven, everybody will be that way. We will have perfect neighbors. Anybody ever had a bad neighbor or a creepy neighbor or somebody that you just suspected was doing something wrong? You know, you were probably wrong, but still you suspected it, and it just lasts and lasts and lasts and goes on. Anyway, not there. No creepy neighbors. Everybody will be perfect. I used to... Love this show called Home Improvement. It used to come on with Tim Allen. And uh, Tim Allen had a perfect neighbor. His name was Wilson. Anybody remember that? So for some reason, whenever Tim would have a bad day or he would get discouraged or he would need some advice, he would walk out in his yard. And uh, he did that all the time. And strangely, Wilson was always out there, you know, on the other side of the fence. And you would always just see the top of his head but he would always offer Tim amazing advice, and he would always be there to encourage Tim. In heaven, everybody will be a Wilson. Our neighbors will be, everybody will be encouraging and loving, and think about that with me this morning. Perfect neighbors for all eternity. What are some more accommodations? Now we're in chapter 22. Let's look at verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So the angel shows John this magnificent river, and even the river is bright and crystal clear. And the river is the water of life, and it represents eternal and everlasting life. And it flows directly from the throne of God. Further in verse 2, On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. So this river is around a tree, and it's not just any tree, but it's the tree of life. And there was a tree of life back in Genesis, if you remember. So here in, in, in this new heaven, in this new earth, in our new home for eternity, there's a new tree of life representing everlasting life. 
And this tree bears fruit. It says it yields different fruit each month. Let me just explain this out just, just for a moment. The life we will have and the place that we are going to will consist of variety. All right? We will have variety. I've heard the saying, heaven's just going to be boring. Right? Have you heard that? Everyone, think about this. We just talked about how everybody's perfect. Think about playing basketball with somebody. Everybody makes every shot. Right? Or think about going and playing golf at the most amazing golf course in the universe. In heaven. And everybody makes a hole in one. Right? You know, I don't think it's going to be that way. I don't think it's, we're going to get bored in heaven. I think this tree is a little hint of that. I think this tree is a little hint that we will have variety in heaven. There will be a regular cycle of joyous provision given by God, and it changes all the time. Changes. Just like the fruit on the tree does. So the accommodations look pretty good, right? Right? This place just keeps looking better and better. Not only do we have an unbelievable-looking home with the best quality building materials, but we have the cleanest place. We have perfect neighbors. We have access to this spectacular river flowing from God. We have access to this tree of life that has amazing fruit, and we have a life filled with unlimited variety. Sounds pretty good to me. Are you imagining this this morning as we go through this? This place sounds so good. sounds so amazing. Well, finally, we want to know the activities. What are we going to do there? What, what is there to do in heaven? Look at verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. In other words, everything will be perfect as God originally intended to be. A, a world in a life without sin, without the curse of sin. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. So here's an insight into our activity in heaven. It says his servants, and who's that? That's us. His servants will serve him. Our major activity in heaven will be to serve and to worship God. You might say, okay, that sounds good, but won't we get tired of doing that? Won't we grow tired of serving and worshiping? I can tell you this, that we will never grow bored. We will never grow tired of worshiping God in heaven. Serving and worshiping God will never be anything short of an amazing privilege for us to do. We don't understand how infinite God's mind is. We don't understand the variety in God's mind. If you think for one minute that it's going to be boring in heaven, I want you to ask yourself one question. Just this one question. Is it boring here? Is it boring here on earth? If you're bored here, you... you, chose to be bored it's a choice that you've made I want you to think about the nicest place that you've ever been to the most exotic place whether it's Hawaii maybe it's Alaska maybe it's the Bahamas think about that I want you to think about when you were there and think about the moment when you said this is beautiful 
I want you to think about the moment when your breath was taken away by God's creative glory. And what did you say to yourself? I'm in paradise. I wish it could be like this forever. I could get used to this. You see, that's here. That's here. We haven't come close. We haven't even come close to seeing what it'll be like in a perfect world. When the unlimited creative mind of God sets itself loose. It's going to be incredible to see those things. And it's going to be incredible to serve God and to worship God in ways that we can't even comprehend right now. Well, what else will we do? Verse 4. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Imagine that with me this morning. Imagine being able to see God's face. Not only seeing God's glory, like we talked about, the heavenly city coming down that shone with the glory of God, but this takes it a step further. This gets you closer. This is more personal, and this is more intimate. Imagine seeing God's face. Imagine talking with God while you're seeing his face. Imagine seeing the face of Jesus. Imagine being able to see our Lord's face and to be able to talk and carry on conversation with the Lord forever. No man has ever seen God, but in heaven we will. We will, and we will have this perfect relationship with him that's very intimate and very loving. And it says, his name will be written on our foreheads, which is symbolic of possession. We will be his, he will be ours for all eternity. We will be children of God in the Father's house. He has stamped us with his seal, and we are his forever. The final activity listed is found in verse 5. And they will reign forever and ever. Who's they? us they will see his face they will reign forever and ever this is amazing on top of everything that we've talked about we not only will be worshiping and serving God in heaven we won't only be able to see God's face and to talk with God on top of all that it says that we are giving the amazing privilege to be able to reign with him And there's an emphasis here at the very end, and I want you to pick up on that emphasis, forever and ever. Forever would have been long enough, right? But God is saying, look, hey, forever and ever. For Christians, for believers, listen to me. This is your eternal home. This is our eternal home. This is where we are going, and this is what we can absolutely anticipate seeing and experiencing one day. So you know, you know this. You know that you are going to a heavenly home, and you know some of the details about that heavenly home, right? So now what do you do? Prepare to leave. You prepare to leave. 
you get ready to go. We, we have the information. Now it's time for, for preparation. We want to prepare. We want to get ready to leave. So listen to me. Are you preparing yourselves for what the Lord is preparing for you? You want to think about that just a second and let it sink in? Are you preparing yourselves for what the Lord is preparing for you? Are you living with eternity in mind? Are you thinking about heaven? Are you living with anticipation? One thing the Bible is clear on, and one thing the Bible actually emphasizes, is that Jesus could return at any moment. The Lord could come back, could return at any moment. How soon? Well, we don't know. But the idea is is that it could be at any moment. Are you living in light of that? Are you keeping watch? Are you looking for Jesus to return? Think about this with me. Did Abraham just dream about heaven? No, it said he, he lived in tents as a stranger in a foreign land. Now, that doesn't mean we all go home today and put tents in our yard. But here's what it means. The way we live reflects what we anticipate will happen. The way we live reflects what we anticipate will happen. What we believe should affect how we live. If we know we're going to be with the Lord in heaven, and we know that he has told us that this will take place soon, then our lives should represent that. We know we're going somewhere. We know the Lord himself has told us that he's coming. Our life should reflect those two truths. What does that mean practically? I'm closing out. I want to give you some practical things. That means we are obedient. Are you being obedient? We've covered the entire Bible this year. The lessons that God has opened your eyes to, the things that he's spoken to your heart, are you being obedient? Maybe you're a Christian here and you've never been baptized. As nicely as I can, I want to tell you that that's disobedience. What what do you think you're going to do in heaven when you see God's face and he tells you, you didn't do the very first thing that I asked you to do? Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a relationship that's just broken up and it's on you to forgive and you just won't do that. But God says, I forgave you. Are you being obedient to what God has already told you? Are you living a life of obedience? Are you working against what God's trying to do in your life? Then think about this. Are you being a good steward? Are you being a good steward? This means everything that God's given us, our wealth, our resources, our homes, our families, our jobs, are we managing that well? 
And I like to think about this too. For those of you that are saved, you've been given the gospel. How are you stewarding the gospel message? Are you keeping it to yourself? Are you, are you sharing that? Are you being a good steward of the gospel message? So be obedient. Be good stewards. And then do good works. Pastor Brian did a sermon on Ephesians, and we learned that before the creation of earth, God made good deeds for us to do, good works that he wanted us to do. Are you being diligent in seeking those out? We know that works don't save you. It's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But because of that, are you doing those good works that God wants you to do? Are you working for the Lord? Are you preparing yourself for the place that God, that the Lord is preparing for you? So we've answered some pretty big questions today as we've been talking about heaven. And if there is a place that is amazing as this, and we can stay in this perfect place for all eternity, well then the biggest question is how much does it cost? Think about this. If we're buying a home, we're looking in the home finder, the bargain finder. I'm not sure what it's called. We're looking in that thing, and we have a price range, right? I know the ones that I cannot look at because of my uh, budget, and I know the ones that, okay, I can work with this. How much does this place cost? This big, massive place that's made of gold, diamonds, jewels, where I can see the face of God. How much does it cost? Well, it's free. It's free. Look at verse 17, and this is so, I love this so much about God. There's only a few more verses left in all the Bible. So here, even at the very end, we see the heart of God. We see that he is merciful, and we see that he wants everybody to come to him. Here is one last plea for sinners to repent and come to him. Let the one who is thirsty come. Are you thirsty this morning? I'm not talking about water. Is there a desire in your life that cannot be fulfilled? Is there a longing for something that you just can't find the answer to? Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take. There's a step that you have to take. There's an action to this. Come and take. If you're thirsty, if you desire, come and take and receive the free gift. How appropriate is that for Christmas? How much does it cost? free take the free gift of the water of life that represents everlasting and eternal life that flows from god's throne it's free it's free to you and me because it's already been paid for jesus paid the entire cost for this place for you he didn't just make a down payment, but the Bible says that he paid it in full. He paid all of it. There is no debt left. He paid for it in full by dying on a cross for your sin and rising from the grave to conquer death. You see, in Jesus we have an eternity to look forward to that's without sin, that's without death, that's without grief, that's without sorrow, that's without pain, that's without suffering because Jesus experienced all those on the cross. At the very same time. And what happened was all those things stayed on the cross. But Jesus didn't. 
He rose, ascended into heaven, and left those things on that old rugged cross. So that you wouldn't have to spend another day in those things. Our eternal home won't have those things because Jesus paid it all. And it's through faith in Jesus that a person can have eternal life. And you can have this place to look forward to as your home. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, hey, look, do that today. The hope of heaven doesn't have to be a dream for you. It can be a reality. You can have the hope of this place being your eternal home. Will you pray with me? Father, today I just thank you so much for the hope that is found in your word, for the encouragement that is found. Father, today we see a place that now we dream of, but one day we will take part of. A place in glory where you and your Son and the Holy Spirit will all be there, Father, and we can see you face to face. We can have a personal, intimate relationship with you for all eternity. Father, we look forward to a place that has no pain, no suffering, and no death, all because your Son, Jesus, experienced all those and put them away forever. Father, may we be found obedient when you return. May we be found as good stewards of what you've given us when you return. May we be found doing the works that you've called us to do upon your return. Father, may we live with anticipation, just like we do around Christmas time. Our lives are reflecting of what we anticipate. May our lives reflect our anticipation of heaven this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.